You're listening to Warwick Radio Online. The voice of Warwick, Rhode Island. Hello, and thank you for tuning in to Warwick Life on Warwick Radio. My name is Scott Nerney. I grew up in Warwick and have been a homeowner for over 30 years in our lovely city. My goal with this podcast is to highlight what is special about Warwick and how you can get the most from our seaside community. Our guest today is Tony Estrella. He is the artistic director for the GAM Theater locally in Warwick. I asked him to come on, talk a little bit about the GAM Theater, their history, and their incredible season 38 shows that are becoming to the GAM Theater. Thanks a lot, Tony, for coming on. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. And, and not only the artistic director, but uh, someone that's on stage almost all the time. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, you know, it's funny. We, you know, we were having a conversation earlier just before we started taping about um, titles and what's your title and where titles. And, um, you know, I always think of my kind of if I had the real title, the title I really wanted, it would be an old fashioned thing we used to call in the theater an actor manager. Uh, which was often the way companies were run. You know, they'd be itinerant and they would, you know, the, the you know, actors, the, in, in a sense, the inmates ran the asylum. And, uh, and I think in the theater, that's probably the best way of going about it in terms of and how do we get to doing what we do? We only learn by doing. And for me, it all starts with acting. So, um, you know, I started off as an actor, trained as an actor, acting led to directing, led to artistic direction, you know, it, it kind of just kind of, uh, you know, snowballed from that. And, um, but it all springs from that because I think the fundamental relationship, of course, in the theater is between the actor and the audience, right? It's the most important thing. And I think um, having that, you know, that on stage, that constant, you know, and it feeds, uh, you know, everything else. If I didn't have it, I'd feel, I think, a little bit at sea. So certainly, yeah, I get on stage as, uh, as often as I can without kind of, um, you know, uh, uh, overdoing it, I suppose, uh, and uh, and you know, and, but that really is at the core of um, of of what I do, and then I hope you know what we as the you know what's I think what's powerful about the game, which is that connection between the actors and the audience, and they're close up, so you you definitely are are not miles away in some major theaters or on the big screen. It's you know you can hear everything, you see everything, and people are are, you know, within 10, 15 feet of, of the audience. Yeah, we have about seven or eight rows in the theater, depending. And so, you know, I always say, you know, intimacy is so important to what we do. So we have about 185 seats. Um, and what's really important for me as an actor is I want to be able to see, be able to look the person in the back row in the eye, you know. Uh, you know, if that light catches their eye and catches mine, I can look up if I'm, say, I'm in a Shakespeare and I have a soliloquy, which is when an actor's alone on stage talking to the audience. And I can look around to each individual audience member and I can see somebody in the back and I can actually make eye contact and make a real kind of impression or a connection, you know. It's about that engagement. Again, that actor-audience relationship is so important. Not that you can't have it in a larger space, but the bigger you get, of course, uh, you know, you do get sometimes, you know, as you do, you know, you feel if you you go to PPAC, right, and you go to see a great musical and you're having a ball, but the further away you are, you know, mm-hmm. you have to get the opera glasses out and stuff and uh, you don't, you don't, you know, you can still enjoy it, but you don't quite have the connection of being up close. And I like to see the sweat when I'm in an audience. I like to see an actor breathe. I like to hear the breathing, you know, um, it just... It, it underlines what's most powerful about what we do as opposed to what you were just saying in terms of, you know, movies and TV is which is live and it's in the room. I told my wife, you were looking right at me one time. We went to uh, a couple of shows. I knew it. I yeah, knew absolutely it. was. Yep. And, and for those uh, following at home, the uh, website, if you want to, while you're listening, if you're in front of a laptop or a phone, is gamtheater.org. Yep. And that's and, theater with an R-E. Correct. 
because um, I probably would have spelled it wrong, honestly. Right. Well, it's not wrong. It's both ways. We yeah. just spell it. It's kind of the old-fashioned way of spelling it. And oh, I nice. Always, I always think of theater with an R-E and as, as theater as a whole. And then when I, when I think of the word theater, E-R, I think of the building itself. Oh, nice. Yeah. Okay. And speaking of the building, uh, can you give the location? Sure. 1245 Jefferson Boulevard in Warwick. And we have a tradition at Warwick Life that I just started recently to tell people where things are, where things used to be. Yeah. So I will say it is where the Paul Bailey's yep. repair facility used to be. Right. I believe it was Verizon at one point. Yeah. And of course, it was a theater before we moved in, you know, uh, Ocean State Theater Company, which did really great work in that space. Um, and, you know, we've been there for a few years now, and uh, I'm glad we've been able to continue what they started. Yeah, it's a beautiful facility. They have a couple of different stages that they utilize for various shows. Mm-hmm. Um, great seats, a lot of parking. There's a good handicap parking section. Yep. They have a, a really nice um, food and drink out front to people can bring into the theater. I mm-hmm. want to compliment you on that. I know you've also had some events in the lobby area in the past. Yeah. Yeah, we're looking to um, you know up that you know it's a great community space. It's a very spacious lobby. We have a new, we have a small stage now in the lobby that we've uh, spruced up a bit so um, that we're getting ready for you know events that we can have you know open mic things maybe some cabaret type stuff. We've already done a few events like that, and then o- also opening up to community groups to come in and use the space. You know we've we've had a, a bunch of great co- collaborations, and it's trying to see the gam not only as as an engine for what we do as a theater and making plays, but also as a great community art space like a center that. You know, in a sense that people, we want to get people used to coming into the building for various reasons, you know, and that it's there. I mean, we actually had um, voting there in the last election. We were a polling place, and we hope to be doing that again in November. Great. Yeah. We had Carrie Nardo Lillo on the show, and mm-hmm. uh, I know she's excited about getting people to the polls. Mm-hmm. So I'm hoping... Not only can people vote, but see your fantastic theater when they stop in. Absolutely. It's a, it's a great, I think it's, a, you know, all theaters should be such, right? We used to, you know, we often go and vote in, you know, the school gymna- gymnasium, et cetera, and other civic spaces. And I like the idea of the theater, uh, you know, the forum that the theater is as a civic space. You know, it should should be, you know, this almost these democratic functions kind of, I think, pair well uh, in a building like that. So, okay. And if you had your choice, regardless of what, would sell tickets or would in or what would be popular. Mm-hmm. What is your favorite type of character to play? Oh, well, that's, a, you know, that's a great question. I think, um, you know, the first response is always, you, you know, uh, I was I was thinking about this the other day. I was watching, I forget what show, was. oh, a show on PBS that I love called Cobra, which is this thr- British thriller about, like, you know, the prime minister in Britain's about to be blown up by terrorists. And, you know, it's, a, you know, it's fun. Uh, and uh, one of the characters is a real, real bad guy on it, but he's got really great dimensions to him, you know. And I, we were watching, and I said, oh, what is that, you know, remind me of the Milton thing, you know, with Paradise Lost, that the devil gets all the best lines, you know. Um, and so those, those characters, you know, that uh, the wicked ones that kind of get to kind of unleash and say the things often that we, you know, uh, um, you know morally and ethically probably shouldn't in our own lives uh, if we want to lead moral and ethical lives. Uh, the stage is a great place to explore that. But I'm also... Um, as, and so those are fun, of course, and people, you know, actors love playing the bad guys and, you know, the psychos and all that stuff. But I would say m- lately, and may- maybe it's aging, I'm, I'm not sure, but there's something about, um, you know, finding the opposite of that, which is, you know, in a, in a world in which there's, you know, it's so easy to be kind of dismissive and, um, you know, uh, and to lack compassion and to be cool and distant and, you know, dislocated from experience to find, um, you know, uh, for lack of a better term, um, the complexity of goodness in people. 
um, and sincerity in that sense, and that you know that that there's something about kind of sarcastic or overly ironic detachment from the world right now that I'm I'm less interested in than people who engage fully in their with their you know whole selves and and as, and how difficult that is. So um, you know, so I guess you know it's a, that's that's a broad expanse of things, but it goes to say, with well, the theater is a great place you can explore so many different things. Right, and let's talk a little bit about season thirty-eight. Sure. Um, I understand you have five plays plus a wonderful life. We'll, we'll kind of get to that last because yeah. it's one of my favorites, but kind of walk us through, uh, what the plays were like. Yeah. Uh, so we're actually starting up very, very soon, right in the middle of August, we'll be starting our rehearsals. Um, and, uh, uh so it's here, it's upon us. It's, uh, you know, which is amazing that the summer is already over, but, um, uh, we start off with an incredible play, actually, which the play that we chose for the season last. It's called Describe the Night by Rajiv Joseph, a great young American playwright, um, author of a couple of plays people might know, um, Baghdad, Baghdad Tiger at the Bengal Zoo, which was done on Broadway with, was I think, Robin Williams' last performance on stage um, in the lead in that, playing the tiger, uh, and also Gruesome Playground Injuries, which is a title I just love. But this is uh, called Describe the Night, and Describe, uh, which is in reference uh, to one of the characters in the play, uh, Isaac Babel, who is a great Russian writer. Um, and so this play uh, looks at 90 years of Russian history from 1920 to 2010. It's only got seven characters, but it kind of follows three different timelines and weaves them all together uh, to tell an an incredibly relevant and resonant tale right now with what's been happening in the world. And the reason why I said this kind of came in last uh, in terms of the choice of the play, because once the invasion of Ukraine happened, um, and that was, you know, in the front and center and has been since, uh, and I think will continue to be for some time, uh, you know, I was, you know, was just that put in my head and I was remembering this play that I had never seen, but I had heard about and I was, and I went back to it. And then when I reread it, I, it was kind of shocking in its relevance and resonance to what's happening in our world today, uh, including one of these several historical characters, uh, Isaac Babel being one, Nikolai Yeshov, who was the head of the NKVD, which is the Russian secret police, the forerunner of the KGB at the time, and um, ultimately uh, the current Russian president is a character in the play. And you see his rise uh, from 1989 in Dresden as a member of the, uh, at the time, the KGB, which is now the FSB. There's too many acronyms, I know. Um, <laughs> but uh, it's a wonderful play, It's and it's a theatrical kind of fantasia. So as maybe grim as that sounds, because of its epic nature, and it jumps around in time, and uh, if it's got a really crazy tone, and it kind of plays with conspiracy theory and fact versus fiction, and ultimately, what is truth? So beyond its political resonance or its relevance to us, what's happening in the world right now, it's really, uh, you know, it's written by an American writer. It's about America, even though he's using Russia as a uh, kind of model to uh, examine some of these issues. So that's going to open the season. I'm really, really excited about that. I'll be directing that play. Okay. Um, And then we're following that up uh, uh, kind of, and I love the pairing of these two together with Lynn Nottage's another wonderful, one of the best American playwrights right now, um, uh, her play Sweat. Uh, which is set in Pennsylvania uh, in the earlier part of the uh, of our century, our current century. So just a few years back, uh, around the time of um, you know some some pretty severe economic downturn, uh, and it's a, a factory in Reading, Pennsylvania, uh, and uh, the um, you know strife in the factory in terms of worker management, et cetera. And most of it's set in a bar. 
among the workers there as they kind of navigate this. And it uh, it's looks at kind of what happens, uh, you know, the things that really separate us in terms of, and uh, you know, when, when uh, economics turns bad and how quickly that can dissolve the ties that bind us in a community and force us to kind of more atavistic behaviors and tribalizing behavior um, and really sever relationships and families and between friends uh, and a real working class play, uh, which is certainly my background in life. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm really, really excited for that. Uh, that will be play two. And those plays are really kind of go together. That's where we kind of, you know, in coming into a, an election season, as we were talking about with voting, I think those two plays um, kind of, I hope, uh, you know, have a, you know, echo and reflect kind of uh, a lot of things we'll be thinking about in the fall. Uh, and then I know we're going to save our, our, the holiday for last. But then when we turn the, the clock into 2023, which is amazing that we're there already, um, we will be, uh, we go into a play that I'll be in, I'll be acting in, uh, a great Irish classic called Faith Healer, uh, which is by uh, one of the, the great modern playwrights um, who died just about a decade ago now, uh, Brian Friel, who also wrote Translations and Dancing at Lunasa. Um, really beautiful, beautiful play, and only three characters about an itinerant um, faith healer of the title, which is someone who, you know, would go from village to village and, um, um, you know, with an invite in or for a price, uh, the uh, people who are sick, um, various ailments, and an attempt to cure them, uh, and and which is a which is a, a certainly an Irish tradition. Uh, we have our own versions of that here in America, but it's more of about a play about art and the making of art and, and how we tell we all tell stories about ourselves in order to survive and what is real and what is fiction. So again, that which is echoes where we start with Describe the Night, which is a theme that's running through the season. Uh, we'll follow that up with uh, we, a play that we had programmed pre-pandemic that now uh, we hope we're going to be able to bring back, and now we are able to, which is uh, Joshua Harmon's hilarious dark wonderful play bad jews um which is i love the title because uh uh it's about um young it's uh, four young actors um uh and uh three of whom are uh jewish uh the you know the title characters i suppose of the play um and the reason why bad jews because it looks at what uh how do we um whatever our tradition or background or ethnicity may be how do we balance our responsibility to family, identity, history, uh, as we move forward as a society and within this family, and it's a kind of wrestling over an heirloom um, uh, where a grandfather passes away, and this is going to be left to the, the grandchildren and then what they fight over and their differing views. And if you, if you come to the GAM and you saw a couple of seasons ago, just before the pandemic, the last show we actually completed the full run of was another play by Josh Harmon called Admissions, which uh, if you saw that play, you'll know his style, which is um, kind of ferocious, robust, hilarious, and somehow painful all at the same time, um, and really, really thought-provoking. So we're really excited about that um, as, as a replacement uh, in there, and that we're going to get to finally do it, because that's been a couple of years in the making. And then we'll finish the season with um, a play that, for my money, should have won the Tony two years ago, uh, but lost to Harry Potter, which is wonderful, and Harry Potter's a juggernaut, juggernaut but uh, it's called The Children by Lucy Kirkwood, and The Children is a, a remarkable play set in kind of a um, 
it's set in an English kind of, you get the countryside near the water or in the country and near, it's near a nuclear power plant where there's been, you could, there's been some kind of accident. And the three characters in the play, two of whom are married and one is an old friend, they're in their 60s, uh, and they're all um, scientists who worked at that plant. Uh, and uh, it's called The Children for reasons I don't want to spoil. Uh, it's kind of a bit of a mystery of a play, but it's also about, you know, our responsibility to our children um, and uh, and to next future generations. And uh, in particular, how do we respond in terms of um, with looming uh, ecological catastrophe and crisis that we're kind of in and out of on a daily basis at that time it's not really a polemical play at all it's a play about how it's a play like all great plays are about relationships and the complexity of relationships um it's got a lot of twists and turns in it uh and and again was a, a was won several awards in its native britain and was nominated for a tony here when it was on broadway and brilliantly received so that kind of rounds out uh the season uh you know well, the, the regular season anyway and the wonderful life radio play I'll try to encapsulate this one. Everyone's seen the movie. Yeah. Uh, you haven't seen the play, if you've seen the movie. Uh, sometimes you kind of think of it backwards, right. but um, the the fact that you have all the actors doing the play as a radio station would broadcast it originally, mm-hmm. and the sound effects engineer, which is amazing, yeah. um, and sometimes I'm watching it and I'm just smiling the entire time. Sometimes I close my eyes and look at it, and I hear it and see it in the vision. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm I highly implore if if you go to any of these shows, that would be absolutely my top pick mm-hmm. uh, among the others because I haven't seen the other shows yet, obviously. But um, it is just fantastic. I'm hoping you have some of the same actors coming back. We do, yeah. Not all. There'll be a couple of changes, you know, which will be good. I think you know we've done a ver- You know, this will be. We've done it twice live. We did it once as a real radio play during right. the pandemic, uh, which was a wonderful experience as well. Uh, and we did it last year live, and it was great. It was even better than the first time. Uh, and we'll be coming back with essentially the same production, um, but with a couple of acting changes, which I think will freshen it up, uh, which is great. It is, uh, as you say, you know, I, I don't think people really know that about this play, that um, that after the movie came out, the movie was not very well received in its time. Of course, it's one of the great American films ever made, and it's a classic now. But like, I think Wizard of Oz is the same way. Like in the first few years, it just didn't kind of quite happen for it for whatever reason, um, which seems crazy, but uh, because of you know how obviously brilliant it is to us. Um, but it was shortly after the film came out, uh, Jimmy Stewart uh, and Donna Reed actually did a radio version. Uh, and uh, so that's where this script actually comes from. Uh, they did it for the radio, uh, and it's a brilliant thing um, that you know the the uh, adapter had Joe had to to make this because we get a kind of um, a way of getting it on stage in all of its kind of complexity and size, but with a very small group of actors, and you can contain it and actually making it make it happen. Versus there are other versions of it that have 25 actors, and there's a musical version of it, etc. Um, and, and I'm sure that that's great in a certain way, but there's something magical about watching it and hearing it come to life in that way with the versatility of the actors and, as you say, the Foley sound effects. Um, so it's a real novel way of looking at it and uh, encapsulates uh, that particular era, also kind of the 1940s radio hour era of it in a, in a unique way and a very fun way. 
And is Mr. Potter's character uh, the gentleman that plays him coming back? Yeah, Fred Sullivan Jr. Uh, is I a really fantastic love to actor. hate him. Oh my goodness, he does it really. Speaking <laughs> of as we were saying earlier, characters we love to hate. Potter is a great one to play, right? I mean, again, the devil getting all the best lines. But then again, to my response earlier, you know, playing George, uh, he gets some pretty great lines too. He certainly does. <laughs> yeah. I applaud you every time. Uh, every time I see or hear any reference to that, I think of you now. Oh, great! And well, you've, you've overtaken the, uh, the oh, original. Jimmy, no, James Stewart, no, he was <laughs> tough to do that, but I, I appreciate that. Thank you for Tony Estrella coming in to share some time with our audience today and sharing insights on Warwick life. It's a great time to be in Warwick, and for those not living the Warwick life, come pay us a visit. Take a look at what the Game Theater has to offer. They have subscriptions. Individual plays will be on sale. Um, take a look at their whole package. As Tony said, a lot of the plays reflect on each other. It tells a lot about our times in the past and what we're currently working through and see everything we have to offer. That wraps up another edition of Warwick Life on Warwick Radio. If you have any comments, content suggestions, or questions, drop us a line at warwicklife at gmail.com. Thank you to Tester Manuelian for our lead-in and closing music. She's a music major with an incredible career ahead of her. See you next time. You're listening to Warwick Radio Online. The voice of Warwick, Rhode Island.